John, are you cheat? Are you broke now? Did you get a ticket? We'll talk about it on the show. Come on, that's the show. So, how's things going, John? How was your uh, vacation in California? It was very uh, Californian. Uh, so you didn't you didn't really live in reality. Everywhere you went, you just dropped hundred dollar bills like they were like they were singles. Sometimes it felt like that. <laughs> there, were, there were expensive things there, but uh, overall everything worked out. I think I took every form of transportation except for a taxi. I don't even know if they still have those in San Francisco. I think they've been outlawed. Yeah. So the vacation was good. You seem to hang out with uh, most of the friends of the internet that I can think of that are in that neck of the woods. Yeah, we and we did all the touristy things that you can do in San Francisco. We, you know, did bus tours. Did you like Alcatraz? Yeah, went to Alcatraz, rode on a cable car, went to the really windy street, uh, you know, did all the tourist things you can do. Yep. I love that the tourist things in San Francisco are ride on a really bad road, take mass transit, and go to jail. <laughs> went to the woods too and, and we went to beaches uh up and down the coast on the beach in santa cruz and some other beach that i don't i don't know where it is but it's got little tidal pools did the pacific ocean stuff went on a hike in uh marin county you know just lots of lots of things we fit a lot in in the short number of days we were there so as we record it is friday night the 22nd um we should probably talk about the elephant in the room. Um, WWDC ticket announcements are starting to trickle out as we record this. Uh, how'd it go for you, John? Uh, in the lead up to this, I had some issues that I had to deal with, mostly of my own creation. But when you sign up for the lottery, it has the this year it had the same message they had. I think it was the same message they had in previous years. Um, but at any rate, the same realities in previous years, which is if you enter the lottery and you win the lottery they attempt to charge your credit card at the moment they have decided you've won the lottery. And if that charge doesn't go through for some reason, they say, actually, you have not won the lottery. We're moving on to the next person, which is very bad. And it happened to a lot of people uh, in the past. And Apple's been pretty good about trying to go back and give them tickets later. But it's a really terrible system in that if they pick your name out of the hat and is a winner of the lottery... They should give you a day or two to sort out the payment situation. Now, why might your credit card reject it? Because your credit card company is fraud happy and it sees this big $1,600 charge randomly on a card. And I don't know how their fraud detection works, but if you trip your credit card company's fraud detection, Apple will give your ticket to somebody else. They won't say, well, it got rejected, but we'll give you 24 to 48 hours to sort it out with your credit card company. No, they just move on immediately. And so this year, same message. They said, just wanted you to know that if we fail to charge your credit card, we're taking your ticket away and giving it to someone else, which is terrible. It's just a terrible system. It should be, again, 24 to 48 hours. Let the people sort out whether they can get it. So I was afraid this would happen. When I signed up, I saw that the credit card I had in there is my traditional, this is what I use to buy my Macs with credit card, which also happens to be the traditional uh, Apple cannot charge my credit card because the payment company rejected it because it thinks it's fraud. I bought so many thousands of dollars worth of Macs on this one credit card. Same number. It's never been stolen on the internet. It's a miracle, right? Uh, and year after year, every time I try to buy uh, Apple equipment with it, they mark it as fraud. One of the things I suggest is, hey, Apple says this in their message, you should call your credit card company and tell them, to expect a $1,600 charge sometime in the next, you know, between the, the 22nd and the 25th from, and they don't even tell you the name, I guess just from Apple computer. Um, so 
that's what some people have done. And again, people have done it and called their credit card company and tell them, please don't reject my card. There's going to be a charge. And the credit card company will say, yep, thumbs up. Don't worry. It'll go through. And that gets rejected because they're credit card companies. Well, and I think also like the whole thing about like calling a credit card company to to, like pre-approve a big transaction. I think that's kind of like the door close button on most elevators. (laughs) Their system is all like so advanced for fraud detection these days. Like I'm pretty sure like when you when you call most credit card companies and tell them like, oh, hey, whitelist this thing in the future that hasn't even happened yet. I don't think they even can do anything about that because the system is based mostly on like, do you have a pre-approval or like, or do you have like an attempt for the charge? And then do you have like, do we issue like a commit for the charge? And if they don't have even the attempt for the charge, I don't think the people on the phone can even do anything about it. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because last year I saw that same message and and the fear was put in me and I called um, my credit card company. And I got on the phone with them and I was like, hey, you know, I'd really like to uh, try to get this charge pre-approved. It's a real, it's really important to me. And they basically, in so many words, said, yeah, that's not a thing. We can't do that. Goodbye. Clunk. <laughs> right. So so this year um, I did the same thing and I called the credit card company and, and I took a different approach this time. And I said, hey, there's a really important charge that may or may not be going through. And I'd really like to make sure that it doesn't get held up. I, can you like pre-approve it or annotate my account in some way such that there's a note that this is acceptable. And so I eventually got pushed to the fraud department, which makes sense because they're the ones who would keep track of this thing. And I got on the phone with the the woman and she had said, you know, okay, well, what what are you trying to accomplish? Well, I'd like to pre-approve this thing. Well, you have to understand like there's a lottery and if I win the lottery, wait, 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 you're talking like some sort of gambling (laughs) thing? No, 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 no. It's not gambling. It's all right. Here's the thing. So there's this like a conference. It's a nerd conference, but it's really important to me and this and that. And eventually she was like, okay. Too much information already. Yeah. You've already lost. Yeah. So she was like, yeah, okay, whatever. So uh, I've made a note. And then I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, um, I don't know if it's relevant or not, but the charge would be from Apple. Like she didn't even care who the charge is from. So I think you're right that she was like, yeah, okay, whatever. That's great. Go away. Um, and then I, by coincidence, happened to see a friend of the show underscore David Smith for lunch today. And he and I were talking about it, and he immediately um, came to the same conclusion that you guys did, which is the one I eventually came to, which was, oh, yeah, this is not a thing. It's all automated. There's nothing you can do about it anyway. Good freaking luck. These charges look so suspicious also because, like, it's $1,600, which is as much as a laptop costs, from a company that if you stole a credit card and you wanted to go get a quick win with something you could quickly flip and sell, you'd probably go buy a fancy technology product like a fancy laptop from Apple. And so, like, I bet lots of fraudulent charges are for Apple. It's also a card not present transaction because it's done online. So, again, it's like if you steal a credit card online, you're probably going to go try to place an order from the Apple Web Store, which is exactly where these charges come from. So it's like I and and you're calling up and saying, like, this charge might happen i can't even tell you that i'm definitely trying it i haven't tried it yet this charge might happen in a few days so there's you're basically asking their fraud detection systems to completely go against all of the all of their heuristics and instincts basically so the note the person made in your account Mm -hmm. that's for other human beings to read but the thing that's going to reject your wwdc charge is not a human and will never look at that note and therefore that note is meaningless I completely agree. And that's exactly what Underscored said as well. And I think you're right that it really was just so I could go to sleep at night that if for some reason I had a rejection that I have done everything in my power to make sure that this goes through. 
which is to say I've wasted five minutes of my time and several phone operators' time. Yeah. So I had uh, an alternate strategy suggested by my wife, which was, why don't you use the credit card that doesn't get rejected, which is another one of our credit cards that, historically speaking, has not gotten immediately rejected every time we tried to buy expensive things with it. I think we may have bought some Apple hardware with it. Uh, In fact, I did buy some Apple hardware with it uh, in uh, California, which we'll talk about later. Um, And so I said, that's a good idea. Uh, So I went to go change the default credit card. This is after I had entered the lottery. So already I'm nervous. I'm like, I've already entered the lottery. It said that it was going to use that card. I'm going to change a different card. So I I log in to that Apple ID. And uh, have you seen the new site for like developer.apple.com when you sign in? It's got this weird interface where everything is centered and it shows your certificates and your iTunes Connect account. And anyway, there's an option to go edit your account or your change your payment method, and that sends you to appleid.apple.com, and it wants you to sign in there, and I enter my Apple ID and try to sign in, and it says, this Apple ID is not an email address. You cannot continue. And I knew this day would come someday. I have an Apple ID that is not an email address because I got it a really long time ago, and I've been using it for years and years, going to WWDC with it, doing all sorts of stuff with it, uh, and many people I know who had non-email Apple IDs uh, had gotten that same message many years past and had to change it. And so I'm thinking, is this the, this is the right, the best time to change my Apple ID <laughs> from one that's not an email to one that's an email? But I also want to change the payment method. And this is the only, I tried many different ways to get around this. Can I get at my credit card information without going through this thing that demands that I change it to an email? Eventually I gave up and said, I have to change it to an email. So now my non-email Apple ID is no more. It has been converted rest to an email, an email address Apple ID like the rest of the peons. Um, and, and, but I could get in to change my credit card and I did, and I changed it to the credit card that does not get rejected. Um, so that was all of my prep. And I thought long and hard about, should I just leave it the way it is? Or should I try to call somebody to get the credit card changed over the phone while leaving my Apple ID? Is it a good idea? Anyway. And that was most of the, uh, excitement and bother about it because I thought they were going to tell, uh, us who got the ticket on the 25th but i guess that's just the the lower bound but i saw marco talking in slack about how he hadn't gotten an email about wwdc yet so i checked my uh email inbox and lo and behold i saw a 1599 charge yay i do have a wwdc ticket and then i had to scramble and buy plane tickets and do all that other stuff so i'm going i will be there even though i was just there i will be there again <laughs> it will cost a tremendous amount of money Still haven't decided which hotel, which of the two hotel reservations I've made I'm going to keep and which one I'm going to cancel. But one of them I will keep, so I will be there. Yay! All right! So uh, what else is going on these days? <laughs> you you guys have to answer what <laughs> your experience has been like. Did you win the, lo- the ticket lottery? Let's talk about anything else in the entire world but that. Uh, nope. <laughs> yeah, I take it by your sadness that neither one of you got tickets in the lottery. Uh, as as we record, I have not received an email. I have not received a you got one email, and I have not received a haha tough nuggies email either. Right, you've got until the twenty fifth technically to see whether you get yeah, one. So just because we'll you see. don't have an email right now does not mean you're not going to get a ticket in the lottery because they have a three day window there. So yeah, it's probably not happening now. I did not see um, any ch- any attempted charge against my card, although presumably I wouldn't even see an attempted one unless it went through. I did not see a charge go through. Um, but like I said, I haven't received the screw you email yet. Um, my coworker, Jamie, um, he did get one uh, on the same master account, like we're two individuals, two members of the same um, group account. He already got his, um, so I'm not too terribly hopeful. But strictly speaking... I have until Monday afternoon um, to see, but 
um, we'll see what happens. I, I have not yet received any confirmation or denial. And Marco, I believe you're in the same boat. That is correct. I have seen uh, no no response about my ticket status, uh, and there are also I checked my bank, and there is not a pending charge on the credit card. Uh, so I. I, I, I've heard, you know, like like ATP Tipster in the chat is saying that he asked around and that, and that apparently the the charges are still being processed, that like it's not over yet, but I think it's probably over. Uh, and that's, yeah, you know, I, we talked about this on, on uh, Under the Radar this past week or last week, I guess. I am totally fine going without a ticket. Like, I would prefer to have a ticket, but every year I think my need for it goes down. And and this year, if I if I don't get one through the regular process like everybody else, I, I think I'm just like I'm not gonna like try to pull strings or anything, or you know try to email around or email developer relations or whatever. I'm not. I don't think I'm gonna do any of that because I don't. I if I can get one through the regular means, that's great. Um, but if I don't, you know, that, I'll, I'll, that's fine too. I, I'll I'll let somebody else take it. So what do you think about, we discussed this briefly in, in Slack, but what do you think about the idea that one or all of us should get tickets because we have a podcast where we talk about Apple stuff? In other words, us going as press rather than as iOS developers or whatever. Because I think that is a perfectly legitimate reason for people to go to WWDC. In fact, I have in the past had press pass to WWDC for writing my OS ten reviews, which I'm no longer doing. But uh, podcasts are a thing. And people interested in technology listen to podcasts. And at the very least, you would imagine, especially now that they're holding the keynote in the big uh, auditorium we'll talk about later, that there's more room for press, you know, for the keynote, at least, if not for the entire conference, or maybe just for the first day things with the State of the Union and everything like that, then why shouldn't somebody who has a reasonably popular uh, Apple tech-related podcast be in the running, at least, be considered for press passes? Uh, How many tech podcasts do get press passes to wwdc Uh, as far as i know there aren't any uh, i'm not aware of any pure podcasts that get press passes as in they're not there's not an associated website it's not like oh i'm from the verge cast but i'm part of the verge and the verge gets press passes like just all you have is a podcast kind of like we have there is no atp website to speak of marco's got his blog and we all have our own individual blogs and there's an atp.fm website for the podcast but it's not like it's associated with a website that has any appreciable traffic for just the show um so why shouldn't there be a category uh, of, you know, we're going to give press passes to, of course, all the big publications and all the big websites and also one or two tech podcasts that we pick out of a hat or something? <laughs> I completely agree with you. I don't think it's unreasonable, but clearly I'm extremely biased. And especially right now, because although I'm not saying I'm going to pull a bunch of strings, because honestly, I don't think I even have strings to pull. But if strings were pulled on my behalf, people of the internet i wouldn't complain because i i'm still learning all this stuff and i would still i would still love to get an actual ticket into the big show um i will be there regardless um but i would love to have a ticket uh, especially since it is more pertinent to my to my world than ever before um no i mean really like for for uh, among the three of us i think casey you probably have the biggest justification for going this year this year, yeah. I don't think we could say that in years past, but this year I would agree. Um, although it's probably best that if any of us, uh, John, gets it, because all three of us know that if John didn't get a ticket, there's no freaking way we would convince him to go to San Francisco just for funsies. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I was just there, too. <laughs> exactly. Even more reason for you to tell us to kindly screw off. It, it is worth pointing out also that like the, the press tickets, like the, the people who cover the, the keynote for the press who get press badges, 
Uh, first of all, it's kind of an awesome gig because you don't have to wait in the four-hour-long line. But um, second of all, those people do not get conference badges for the rest of the conference. It's only the keynote. In in general, there are there are exceptions. Yeah, it's very rare to have an exception, though. Yeah. You know, it it would be plausible and reasonable for them to consider large tech podcasts to cover their developer conference to give them press passes, but it wouldn't necessarily follow that they would get conference tickets. And that and the press passes tend to go out far later. Like the, you know, we're not like the press people aren't getting invited now. They're probably going to get invited like two weeks before the event. Yeah, and in in the old days, it used to be you know that the USA Today and the New York Times and Time Magazine and stuff would get press passes. Uh, but websites would not. And then eventually, a couple of websites became part of the blessed set that Apple PR chose to give uh, passes to. These days, it seems like it's you know mostly websites and then, of course, paper publications or whatever. So there is a progression of what are the – what is the, the – the the entities that are allowed to get press passes what are they are they uh newspapers magazines websites podcasts i don't think are in that group yet but it's a natural progression from only inviting paper publications to also including websites to eventually including podcasts assuming the audience of any podcast is big enough to warrant that maybe ours isn't you know i'm not saying that we you know that atp needs to get some but Uh, i am yeah i'll say that yeah (laughs) Yeah. come on john promote yourself well, you got one. You're fine. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't care. I mean, I got press pass with Ars Technica, but Ars Technica is a very big website, right? And The Verge is a very big website, right? Whereas and any individual podcast can't really compare to the size of a very big website like that. So maybe there's some minimum number that they, you know, uh, a, a minimum, minimum audience size or whatever that they want to do. Anyway, um, I think if someone inside Apple is listening to this, that it would be silly not to include podcasts in your list of entities who should get press passes for the keynote in the first day, State of the Union stuff, because... People listen to podcasts, people like them, um, and they're just as a legitimate form of coverage and discussion as anything else. I think it's also worth pointing out, too, that uh, the the watch event, the very first watch event, it went over this like September or November uh, 2014, right? Something like that. And that was at the Bill Graham Auditorium also, actually. Uh, but that very first watch event... At that event, that was the first time where they, they really invited a very broad swath of press, and partly because they were going into a new category. So they had, like, watch press, fashion press. But that was also the first press event I know of where they invited uh, major YouTube tech people, like MKBHD. It seems like they are, like, breaking the YouTube uh, barrier or the YouTube seal. <laughs> they're, they're breaking the YouTube seal uh, <laughs> in the last couple events recently, uh, at least the really big ones. Uh, I so maybe podcasts have some hope. I mean, unfortunately, you know, podcasts are indeed older than YouTube, but YouTube is way bigger than podcasts. And like MKBHD had like his audience has is probably ten or fifteen times the size of ours at least. It, it probably even more than that. I haven't looked recently. They're but. millions. They've got millions of viewers on, on on the YouTube channel. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so like you know, there are there are lots of like you know really popular YouTubers who would by raw numbers be ranked way above a tech podcast like ours but you know apple pr also it's not purely based on numbers it's partly based on like you know who you know it's partly based on um long established reputation and partly based on influence so somebody who has a relatively small readership but a high influence like jim dalrymple is a great example jim dalrymple's site like if you look at his numbers on his his stats and sponsorship pages like there are sites that get more than that that don't get passes but because he's so influential that and he's been around so long covering this stuff i think that helps him be included on those lists so there's there's it isn't all about numbers it is also about influence and relationships yeah someone in the chat room was saying that uh that if they 
if they picked like if they picked all three of us from ATP, it would be like you know inside baseball echo chamber favoritism or whatever. Like that's the job of PR. The PR department oh, in Apple, yeah. its job is, is to select <laughs> which people and they that one possible PR strategy is only invite people who you know love Apple. Is that the best PR strategy? Probably not. But their whole job is to decide who to pick. Of course, it's all favoritism. It's who it's who it's who Apple PR favors and Apple PR if it's good will not only favor. Uh, you know, people that love Apple, they will try to have an even mix where they want a positive outcome, but they're not just going to pick people who they know never say anything negative about Apple. They're they're picking based on a complicated criteria, but is it is ultimately entirely their choice, right? So there's no such thing as you know favoritism. It's there's it's not like there is no what is the opposite of favoritism that the government picks who gets to cover you know like it's <laughs> Apple's conference, it's Apple's conference of their PR people pick who gets press passes. That's it. There's no, it's not a democracy. It's not, you know, so anyway. And I would imagine too, like the, your ability to say negative things about Apple and still get invited is probably correlated to your age and size. So like, you know, Joanna Stern can say in the Wall Street Journal that the iPhone doesn't have enough battery life. But if we say that, that might hurt our chances of getting in, you know, like, because we are not like, we're not the Wall Street Journal, <laughs> you know? Yeah, thanks, Marco. So yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, you ruined it for all of us. Well, John got in, so I'm just ruining it for you, Casey. Sorry, Casey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and once you once you come out of the press realm of talking about like, whether we should get passes or press passes or whatever, then it just gets into, okay, well, you're just another iOS developer like everybody else. And then I have no idea what algorithm they use to randomly pick. Uh, uh, I did not win the lottery last year or the year before that. How many times years has the lottery been going? Three, I believe. Yeah. So this is the first time I've ever actually won the lottery. All the other years I've got like, you know, press pass and stuff. So, you know, uh, that's probability for you. Yeah. Um, I should also note, um, it is very clear on the WWDC website where they go through the policies and whatnot that tickets are non-transferable. Um, you know, if somebody was kind enough to offer like, hey, Marco or Casey, you can have my ticket because I want you to have it, even though, you know, I want it. I, it is possible to make that happen. But basically what you have to do is ask Apple and give them a pretty good reason. And they have every right to say Haha, no. So, um, yeah, it, it seems like if if Marco and I don't get them sometime in the next few hours or slash couple of days then we'll just be goofing off in san francisco riding the cable cars eating rice aroni we will be sleeping in on monday that's what we're going to be doing we're going to be not waiting on the freezing cold line at 5 a.m yeah that is absolutely true uh and we'll be eating a lot of rice aroni because it's a san francisco treat ding ding oh my god (laughs) (laughs) we couldn't even make that joke because my kids don't have never seen that commercial so (laughs) oh goodness that's right. That's your your job as a parent is to make jokes that are barely funny to begin with that your kids won't even get. All right. Well, have fun, John. <laughs> it's cool. I'm sure you'll have a good time. You can come anyway. Go to go to the Layers Conference or something. Well, that's probably what I'm going to do. Yeah, actually, I, I I don't think it's even been announced officially yet. But no, they've announced the dates. There's no tickets yet, but the dates have been announced. Yeah, there's no tickets. Yes, you can't buy tickets yet. But I I will be go. Uh, I think. I mean, if I don't get a WBDC ticket, I'll definitely be going to Layers, and I think I'd even be going anyway. Last year, I actually got both, and uh, and I didn't regret that at all. So I am looking forward to Layers this year. So uh, yeah, so I'll be there for that at least. And I already put the plane ticket. I'm going to be there the whole week. So uh, I'll see you. I'll see you there regardless of uh, what happens. Yeah, we're all going to be there. Oh, and by the way, like 
everyone's talking about this, but like WWC has been getting more and more expensive. There's a couple of blog posts about how much more expensive it is for the past. I think this is close to my limit of like next year. If, if current trends continue, I may not even enter the lottery because it is such a tremendous amount of money and I'm not writing an OS 10 review. Um, so I'm basically going for the purposes of this show and my own edification uh, combination. But boy, it is a lot of money. I look at how much money it's costing all in and I just think about what else I could do with that money. Uh, you know, as my wife reminds me, it will be tax deductible because this is a work thing. But boy, it's uh, it's very difficult to justify uh, as the, the price keeps going up. Yeah, I mean, especially like the hotel prices are, are probably the, the biggest chunk of it for most people now. Uh, unless you're flying from somewhere very far away, but otherwise you're, you're you know you're paying a, you're paying almost two thousand dollars just for the hotel in most cases or more or yeah you actually know, you could depending d- on how far you're willing to walk and many other things That's, whether you require a bathroom and other other yeah, such that, things that seem like they should be included <laughs> yeah that's why I made multiple reservations so that I can just decide how much i want to spend based on how far i want to walk and all sorts of other issues and and by the way that's yeah. for people who don't know i'm sure marco covered this in the uh, developing perspective that i have not listened to under the radar per- developing perspective <laughs> under the radar. it's a, an understandable mistake one of those underscore shows uh <laughs> about prep for wwc and the thing that uh, everybody in our circle tends to do these days is try to figure out when wwc is going to be based on reading tea leaves and stuff and then just make hotel reservations many many months in advance so i think i made my re- hotel reservations in january or february or something mm-hmm. yeah i made mine in february yeah you can cancel hotel reservations without any cost in most hotels so you just guess and make a whole bunch of reservations for a whole bunch of weeks and when apple announces it you cancel all the other ones yep that's exactly what i did i, I booked in early february uh ended up guessing correctly which was excellent um and the bill in early February for the hotel where we all tend to stay was $2,500. And I actually, or roughly, and I actually went through and dug up what the bills were at this same hotel over the last few years <laughs> and wrote a blog post about this. And in 2013, it was $1,123.46. And as I just said, in 2016, it's going to be thereabouts of $2,500. So if I were to get a ticket, which I'm hoping but not expecting, then it's roughly $4,000 to go to, or excuse me, not even to go there, to be in San Francisco, teleported <laughs> by magic, to sleep there, and then go to WWDC. Now, I have not eaten any dinners. I haven't actually made it to San Francisco yet. All I'm doing is sleeping and going to the conference. Um, and I've looked at plane tickets. I booked my outbound ticket because I knew I was going to be there for at least a couple days, even without a WWDC ticket. I have yet to book my uh, return flight, but it should be about $500 all told. So in case you were wondering, it costs about the same amount of money to be transported in a tube through space, 3,000 miles, whatever it is across the country, um, it, as it does to sleep one night in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, across the country and back, I should say, is approximately the same as one night in San Francisco. Yeah, the joke we made last year is every night you're there for WWDC, that's one Apple Watch. Go to sleep, that's yep. another Apple Watch. Go to sleep, <laughs> that's another Apple Watch. Now it's going to be, it's a little bit nicer Apple Watch every night. Soon we're going to graduate to the stainless steel model every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, now that I've gotten a ticket, uh, you can thank me for ensuring that there will be no new file system this year. Because if I didn't show up, they would definitely announce a new file system. But because I'm going to be there... There will be no new file system this year. 2017, like I said, 2017, I won't get a ticket, and they'll they'll release a new file system. Maybe we'll get the uh, the Tister USB hub before then. 
<laughs> it's funny because uh, I had said to a few people um, leading up to the WWDC tickets being announced, you know, here it was, I've been 2011 through 15 inclusive. And every one of those those years, you would think, well, I kind of didn't have a lot of business being there. Like I sort of did once ATP came, but in terms of like my day-to-day job, I, I had no business being there. I was just very lucky. And here it is. I am now an honest-to-goodness iOS developer, and sitting here now, I do not have a WWDC ticket. The one time when it makes sense for me to have one, I don't. It's okay, though. I'll be okay. Our first sponsor this week is Fracture. Fracture is a company that prints photos directly on glass in vivid colors. These colors pop like you won't believe. And all Fracture prints come on solid backings that are ready to mount right out of the package. All you do is stick the included screw in the wall and hang it up. That's it. It's really affordable, too. With prices starting at just $15 for a small square fracture print. And of course, they have rectangles too if you're not part of the Instagram generation. Uh, and they have all sorts of sizes up from there. And the prices here are very reasonable. I have these all over my office. We get compliments on, the, on our fracture prints all the time because they look great. And they are so modern looking. Uh, they, it's just a piece of glass with the photo printed edge to edge. And that's it. There's no, there's no frame around it. There's no border around it. And there doesn't need to be. I think it would look weird if it had one. These things just look like pure photos in a nice modern print. You don't have to worry about framing. They're lightweight. You don't have to worry about like ha- trying to hang like a really heavy-duty hook in the wall to hold this thing up. Uh, it, they're just great. I love these fracture prints. Uh, so check it out. They make great gifts also. I've sent them to a number of people, relatives, friends, uh, things like, you know, picture of your kid if you're sending it to, to your, your parents or something like that. These things make great gifts. Even the gag gifts send it to your friends. Uh, if you go on, if you go on a trip with your friends, you want to send them send pictures afterwards. Uh, any kind of holiday or celebrating birthdays, uh, anything like that. These things make great gifts, or just buying for your own house because they really are. I think the best way to get a picture printer to hang on your wall. Uh, so check out Fracture today. Go to FractureMe.com and use code ATP10 to get ten percent off. So thanks a lot to Fracture for sponsoring our our show. Once again, go to FractureMe.com. Use code ATP10 for 10% off. Thank you very much. We should probably do what is indisputably follow-up, and we should talk about what a friend of the show, Manton Reese, has written in regarding. This was about the uh, charging stations again, Tesla versus other. He was pointing out the standard charging connector that we talked about last show. Uh, And he says where he is in Austin, Texas, there are hundreds of what he calls level two charging stations in Austin alone. Chargepoint.com lists 27,000 total, vastly outnumbering superchargers. So these are not the super fast, supercharged things for Tesla. Otherwise, they're just kind of like uh, plug your car in while you're shopping or while you're at work or whatever. So they charge more slowly, but there are many, many more of them. Some of them are free. Some of them charge an hourly rate or whatever. He says, I have a lot of respect for Tesla trying to solve the road trip problem. It's ambitious and the kind of thing that no car company would do, no other car company would do. But they're also doing a good job of having destination charges at hotels. Uh, But I'm seeing great progress on the infrastructure you actually need day to day within cities. And those aren't from Tesla. So we talk so much about Tesla and their superchargers, but it's uh, important to acknowledge. And I see this, too, at the mall and stuff, that there are tons of electric car park here parking spots. And I guess those all have the standard SAE connector in them. And no, they don't charge as fast as the superchargers do. That's why the superchargers are super. But there's way, way more of them. Excellent. Uh, We should also talk about and we uh, made reference to him earlier. MKBHD. Yeah, now that we're all jealous of the press pass that he's getting and we're not, we should take this time to dance on his uh, self-inflicted <laughs> grave. Is that now mixing metaphors? Sorry. Wait, what happened? I missed this. Oh, quote me? 
Yeah, he, he to his credit, he tweeted this himself. This is a tweet from him. He says, me in 2015, I guarantee the next-gen MacBook will have at least two USB-C ports. And then he put me right now, because, of course, the new the MacBook was updated. We'll talk about that a little later. It does not have two USB-C ports. Uh, last year or whenever he made that video, he was very adamant that it will have more than one. Quote me, he said. And I believe we uh, had a chuckle about it on the show because... It's totally an Apple thing to do to not add one more port. Despite the fact that we had like 17 episodes of ATP talking about this one port, we were not convinced, I don't think, if my recollection serves. And now it's going to be 18. Yeah. <laughs> that that Apple was going to change their mind. Just because we want more than one port doesn't mean Apple does. And lo and behold, there's a new MacBook out. It does not have more than one port. Uh, MKBHD called himself on it. To his credit, we will put the links in the show notes. So and and also I think he ran out of room in the tweet because in the tweet he said I guarantee the next gen MacBook. In the actual quote he said I pretty much guarantee the second generation of this thin lightning MacBook out. So he said pretty much. So he had a waffle word in there. So he's learning. Learning the a ways of the, learning the ways of the waffle words. He said pretty much guarantee, <laughs> which is not the same as a guarantee. It's like virtually spotless. Your dishes will have spots. Uh so anyway. <laughs> I gave him a pass. I, I also agree that uh, they should have more than one port, as previously discussed, but they don't. Yeah, I mean, something tells me that uh, we have more to learn from MKBHD than he has to learn from us. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. but I think, <laughs> but I, but I think you know we've seen a lot of comments since they they so Apple Apple updated the MacBook One, the twelve inch MacBook, which I call the MacBook One, uh, which actually ha- that name has stuck around in, in in our circle. I'm actually very proud of that. So a- so Apple has has updated the the MacBook One with Skylake CPU uh, this past week and. It is not a big update. It is, and a lot of people are really expecting expecting basically the impossible from this. And I can't blame them. I mean, you know, Apple has cultivated a an expectation of like products get a lot better in their second and third generations, uh, and everything is always getting better all the time. So shouldn't this get better by by leaps and bounds too? Um, and the reality is that. The MacBook One uses a a special, extremely low power consumption Intel platform. It uses a very low power CPU with a very limited low power chipset to power everything else. Also, and one of the one of the um, the core principles of you know computers today, modern mobile computers, especially laptops, uh, and uh, is that you basically have you're limited by by power and thermals and so you have different classes of what kind of performance and what kind of connectivity what kind of ports what kind of luxuries you know what kind of speeds how many cores these are all determined by fundamentally like how much power can you supply the cpu and then correspondingly how much heat can you cool from the from being emitted from the cpu like a macbook air those cpus are something like 17 watt uh consumption and heat design um a a 13 inch macbook i forget what those are something in like the the 25 range maybe and then a 15 inch with the quad cores that's going to be some somewhere in the 40 watt range the macbook one cpu has a 5 watt range a 5 watt cpu cannot do a whole lot compared to even the 17 watt cpus in the macbook air let alone like the nicer you know 20 or 30 watt cpus in like a 13 inch macbook pro you know the macbook one is designed it's fanless which is one of the biggest limitations of this because even a little bit of air moving through a heat sink 
can cool way more effectively than totally passive cooling systems. So this thing has no fan. It has a very small battery inside a very small enclosure. So the limitations placed on this are such that the MacBook 1, as long as it continues to be in that size enclosure and not have an active cooling fan and not have a, a substantially bigger battery, it will never have similar performance as like even a couple generation old 13-inch MacBook Pro or even a, a couple generation old MacBook Air if the MacBook Air is continued to be updated, which is a giant if and the answer is probably no. But like people who expected the MacBook 1 to be like two or three times faster than it was before, uh, you're going to be disappointed because there just isn't enough thermal headroom in that kind of in that enclosure. You, like and and desktop or you know PC CPUs don't make those kind of jumps in power efficiency in one year. This computer will never match the MacBook Pro of like even two or three years ago. It will, you know, it's it's very limited by what it can do. And if you want something, basically, the the new MacBook One is something like twenty percent faster than the old MacBook One. Uh, I I don't I haven't seen a whole bunch of benchmarks yet, but it's in that ballpark in the ballpark in the ballpark of 20% faster and and that's a big bump too because like you normally when we get new Macs it's like oh and the CPU is 15% faster and you take what you can get 20 25% faster in CPU is nothing to sneeze at like I don't think this is a bad update it is faster and gets more battery life that's what updates are supposed to do they just didn't add a USB port whatever well exactly but like a lot of people especially people who have owned uh, the, the the MacBook 1 the, the previous you know the first generation one a lot of them you know the MacBook 1 is a very slow computer a lot of them were hoping that this would make it a, a reasonably speeded computer, and it just doesn't because, like, slow times one point two is still slow, you know. And and you're right, like twenty percent in in one generation is a massive jump in in for PC CPUs these days. You're lucky to get five or ten percent most of the time. So this is this was a substantial jump. Skylake was a long time coming, and it's a it's a major advancement by Intel. And so they put this in here, and they st- it's still a slow computer. It still only has one port, and some of that is because limitations of that low-power chipset. Adding more ports requires more from the chipset, uh, which this super low-power chipset, in for some of the things people want, doesn't even support it. For some of the other things, you know, we don't know why the reasons are that they were omitted, but they probably have to do with space and power. Um, so this computer will never be what the MacBook Air is today. The role the MacBook Air serves today requires a little bit more space, a little bit bigger battery, and a fan. This is kind of the problem. Like, Apple has replaced the MacBook Air, effectively, from from the way it appears. They've replaced the MacBook Air with a computer that can never replace the MacBook Air. And it might be be irrelevant. (laughs) You know, people, a lot of people like this better. That's fine. Uh, the MacBook Pro is likely to get a lot thinner and lighter when it gets its Skylake updated. You know, any 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 day now, basically, but probably WDC. Um, so, the MacBook Air um, is is kind of just left for nothing. There's now these wonderful 17 watt CPUs that Intel makes that Apple is just not going to be using, I guess, in the future, which seems like a mistake. But I don't know. Uh, so, so the MacBook One. In order to get that size, you're giving up quite a lot. And one of those things is that computer will never be fast relative to the rest of the computers. It won't even be remotely competitive in compared to the rest of the lineup. And it will never have the, the connectivity of the rest of the lineup. And if that's what you want, if you want some kind of modern performance 
and decent connectivity, you're going to have to go with a bigger model. And that's not too bad because the bigger models are awesome. Didn't they get a, a SSD speed bump too? Yes. Yeah, faster storage. And I think faster storage will probably have more of an impact on people's lives with that computer than CPU speed because I don't think people are using it to do like big CPU or they shouldn't be using a big CPU as a task. But everything you do like involves the disk, like launching things and even just web browsing with the disk cache and everything. So uh, I haven't used one of these in person, but yeah, but like the the disk was already fast. Like it was already a PCI Express native SSD. Like it, they, you know, it it, it is. You know, if you look at raw numbers, it is faster now, and it's faster by a pretty good margin in like disk benchmarks. But the whole machine is still held back dramatically by the very slow CPU and its very low power ceiling. You might think, like I thought when I bought one for a day, I thought, you know what? What am I doing on a laptop that needs that much power? It's like not most most of the time I'm just like typing and answering emails and stuff. So most of the time it's fine, right? Well, first of all, typing, mm, not on that. But uh, and also the trackpad, mm, that's the worst force touch trackpad I've I've ever used. Um, but you'd be surprised, like modern OS ten and things you take for granted that do use CPU power, like viewing your photos. Like if you, if you if you wanted to like take your to sync your photo library over to that computer so you could take it with you and like look at it on vacation or add to it on vacation or or do even like basic operations on photos that you take on vacation even if they're just photos from your phone not from a fancy camera that actually does use CPU power on the Mac and it actually is noticeably annoyingly slow on that computer for a lot of cases so again it's just like this computer if what you want is uh, is a decently speedy computer that that you're not going to ever notice is that slow, this is not the computer for you because it will always be slow. It can't be fast relative to the rest of the lineup with that kind of thermal uh, headroom limitation. This is the part of the program where I willfully refuse to look up the Geekbench numbers for this quote-unquote slow MacBook and compare them to my, the 2008 Mac Pro that I'm sitting in front of that's the size of a suitcase. <laughs> Don't want to know. <laughs> moving, moving on. I think, just for reference, I'm pretty sure nope, it'll, nope. it'll probably kill you on single-threaded, nope. but I bet nope. you, nope. I think you have at least that's double not, the multi-threaded. Let's not discuss. <laughs> what, do you, what do you have, the uh, 2.66, is that it? 8-core 2.6? Uh, I don't even remember. 2.8, right? Let me see. Something like that. Yeah, no, 2.8. Alright, 8-core 2.8. Mac Pro uh, 2008. No, no, don't look it up. What are you doing? Yeah, what did you think he was doing, John? You shouldn't have answered uh, that question. I Come on. Know. <laughs> it feels fast. I have all the storage. Chat room, like, look at I've got a terabyte SSD. Take that, MacBook. Listen to you bargaining with yourself. I have fast storage. It's okay. <laughs> There's no terabyte SSD option in that thing, even though mine's hooked up to SATA and not PCI Express, but I don't want to think about that either. <laughs> it, it, at least it's one USB port. It's USB 3. <laughs> You don't have oh, that either. Yeah. No, I don't have USB <laughs> three, but I don't care about that. I have way more USB ports. <laughs> My goodness. Anyway, while we send uh, the the chat room off to figure out how miserable John should be. Oh my God! Your single threaded is only fifteen hundred on that Geekbench. Shh, shh, shh! Don't listen. That's tonight, terrible. Don't, don't listen. <laughs> Co- cover your many ear holes. Our iMacs are four thousand. It's a 2008 computer. Give me a break. It was fast when I got it. The multi-threaded is respectable. You got 10,000 on the multi-threaded. That is respectable. But 1,500 on single, That like iPhones beat that now. <laughs> yeah, I think my new iPad is faster than this Mac Pro. <laughs> yeah, anyway, bumper sounds. I put this in there because oh, last, my last show, yes, last show, Marco talked about the bumper sounds and we discussed the, the startup chimes he used and he said he wanted to use the Windows XP USB thing but didn't because I wouldn't like it. And what did he do in the next show? He used the USB uh, sound from Windows XP. And guess what? 
I don't like it. But they're wonderful. And guess what? Everyone else loves everyone it. Else <laughs> Not does. everyone else. The Windows users like it. They're like, oh, Windows, I remember that. That's great. Of course they're no, going to like it. It has nothing to no. do with that. The problem is it's a, <laughs> it's just what Marco said. It was, I guess it was last episode. It was just what Marco said. It's a perfect like mirror image. It's doo-doo and doo-doo. It's perfect. But they're bad sounds, and they're from Windows, and they're from Windows XP, for crying out loud. <laughs> oh, come here, on. Here's what the Windows XP sounds did. They made me like the, the startup chime sounds better, like by comparison, even though I thought the startup chimes that he chose were not the ones that I would have picked. At least they were Apple sounds, and they weren't from Windows, and they weren't... Ugh, no, I do not like them. I do not like the uh, the Windows XP. This is not the Apple Tech Podcast. It's the Accidental Tech Podcast. And we have accidentally... Yes, but we talk about Apple all the time, and, and none of us even use Windows anymore, and no. It, well, but we have accidentally backed into the perfect ad bumper sounds. I, Marco, I stand with you. I'm in full support. They're not the perfect ad bumper sounds. They're terrible. And Microsoft's going to come and sue you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think Windows XP might be so old that it might be public domain. What is it? Death of the author plus 75 years? That it gets something like that, right? <laughs> it's it's close. How old is Windows XP? Doesn't Brian Eno do those sounds? See, Brian Eno did some Windows sounds. Maybe just for Windows 95. He's still alive. Oh, goodness. I Well, I like them. Now, I don't want to get sued for into oblivion, but I do like them. We're not going to get sued. Well, anyway, I'm, I'm filing a formal protest against the Windows XP USB sounds as ad bumpers. So, listeners, feel free to tweet at Syracuse about how much you love the XP sounds, because we all do. Or better yet, the, here's the, the only way it's good they're going to go away is if we have better alternatives. So people should come up with high-quality recordings that are better alternatives that are either from Apple or from whole cloth that are not related to Windows. Or from Fish, maybe. I would accept Fish more than Windows. <laughs> well, and also, like... It, m- much of the complaining about the other sounds I picked, the old Mac sounds, is that they were like kind of like too jarring. Yeah, I agree. Windows, it, when Windows sound design is always made to be so like universally pleasing, so everybody feels nothing. Like the Windows sounds are like the sound equivalent <laughs> of the paintings in hotel rooms. Like you just yes, well, you notice that terrible. there's like it is nice when there's sound there, but you don't notice the sound, and it just it, it offends nobody. It's completely bland, and it's fine. I think the login sound is offensive. You know the login sound? Oh, yeah. Ding-ding-ding. I don't know. The, the, the one where you log in and the big, ugly Windows XP uh, green grass desktop greets you. Well, I thought login was like, boo-doo, and then the logout was doo-doo-doo-doo, right? Yeah, that's no, maybe, I maybe I'm remembering it the wrong way. But anyway, I think some of the Windows sounds are offensive, and I think the USB sound, like, it shouldn't be making any sound when you plug in a USB device, and I don't like those sounds. Thumbs down. Well, I'm not going to get into it, but so I, the the USB stack on OS 10 is is not as good as the Windows. Like you can't just unplug a USB stick, even though I've been it's using it with the USB stack. I guess it did with like buffered I/O. Like well, you can do flush I/O on every single I/O operation, and it just look wait till the light's not blinking and yank it out. That's barbaric. Come on, why not just go back to drive letters? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, the one thing that it that drives windows converts crazy anytime i talk to one and it drives me kind of crazy too is having to unmount drives it drives people what do you mean i have to i have to eject it what are you talking about but that's how a modern io system works you don't flush everything to disk on every operation that would be crazy pants you have a buffer and you have to flush that buffer and you you have to know when it's safe to (laughs) eject something and how do you know how do you know when it's safe i mean Going back to the old Unix days, type, you know, sync twice because it's voodoo and the second time really counts. And then you can unmount your thing because then you'll know all the bits have made their way to the disk. Oh, goodness.
We are also sponsored tonight by Betterment. It is never too late to start saving for retirement or your other financial goals. And the financial services industry has embraced technology with the entry of automated investing slash robo-advisors and Betterment is the largest independent automated investment service out there. So you've probably heard about Betterment from TechCrunch, The Wall Street Journal, and other major news sites. Betterment makes it easier, more straightforward, and less expensive to invest. And I can personally attest to that. The fees that most investors that I've seen charge are way higher than the fees that Betterment charges. Uh, And that that adds up over time a lot. Uh, So Betterment is built on smarter, cutting-edge technology to bring you sophisticated investing and financial advice, all at a lower cost than more traditional financial services. More than 150,000 customers choose Betterment's advanced advice algorithms and beautiful user interface to manage over $4 billion of their dollars. This is the perfect time to get started with Betterment and start saving for your retirement or your other financial goals today. Now, ATP listeners can get up to six months of no fees. That's six months of no fees at Betterment. Learn how at Betterment.com slash ATP. That's Betterment.com slash ATP. Betterment, investing made better. WWDC is going to be a little bit different this year. Um, I'm probably not going to know about it in normal Marco. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll compose myself. Um, There's going to be a different location for Monday. We are going to be at the Bill Graham Auditorium, which uh, we briefly made mention of earlier. This is a change from at least before 2011. I mean, like I said, I've been going since 2011, Marco, since 2009. Is that right? Yeah. No, I mean, they've never done something like this in San Francisco as far as I know. They used to, I mean, if you go back far enough, and if you include Macworlds, then they have like, you know, things in Boston and everything. But that was all before our time. Right. So... Um, Monday, the way Mondays typically work in the past was you would line up absurdly early outside of Moscone, which is where the conference is. You would be let in uncomfortably close to the time of the keynote, usually anyway. You would walk up the three or you would migrate your way up to the third floor, which is where the keynote was. Then there would be a mad stampede into the keynote room. There'd be the keynote. Everyone would get punted downstairs to eat and then you you would come back up and you would watch the developer state of the union which was kind of like a keynote but for nerdier types Um, and then tuesday through friday was just regular conference time this year apparently on monday it's all going to be in the bill graham auditorium uh the and actually even the check-in on sunday the way it always used to work was you could check in in moscone on sunday now that check-in is apparently at the bill graham auditorium on sunday and then all day monday is at the auditorium um that's where the keynote will be. That's where the State of the Union will be. Is there anything else that evening? I feel like there's one other thing. Um, ADAs, right? Apple Design Awards. That's right. Um, That's going to be on Monday night, all at Bill Graham Auditorium. And then the thing that used to be called the Beer beer Bash, now I guess it's called the WWDC Bash, um, that used to be at Yerba Buena Gardens, which is this like uh, park just a couple of blocks from Moscone. Now that's also going to be at the Bill Graham Auditorium. So it's not going to be outdoors anymore. And um, it's going to be off-site again as well. Well, further off-site anyway. And this is all a bit of a change. And there was a funny tweet by a friend of the show, Craig Hockenberry. Um, I don't know if he was being snarky or not because I don't know enough about San Francisco, but it reads as follows. Seriously, do not take a direct route from your WWDC hotel to Bill Graham. Get onto Market Street and pay attention from Powell to the Civic Center. Uh, apparently because that area, which is, I guess, the Tenderloin, I'm sorry, San Franciscans, um, is a little bit rough. So there's transportation for the beer bash or the WWDC bash. I don't believe there's any for um, the keynote on Monday. 
You know, the bigger venue makes sense in terms of wanting, we talked about before, wanting more press like they did with the watch event, but just invite everybody. Sure, come out. We will accept your coverage and we need more room for you. Uh, so it's WWC attendees and tons and tons of press. Come look at whatever it is we're going to announce. State of the Union? Yeah, I feel like, I mean, the only reason they're holding it there is because that's where the keynote is. And you're not going to make everybody move from one location to the other. But I imagine a lot of the crowd will disappear once they bring the engineering people up and start uh, talking about techie stuff. Uh, the bash i don't know why that's not outdoors it, it's kind of nice when it was outdoors i mean they had weird food and the band <laughs> was kind of a mess because like half the crowd would be paying attention to the band the other half would be trying to hear each other over the sound of the band i mean that's i think that's generous like that's for me like the bash ha- has always been uncomfortable because you have a band on one side and usually you know it's a band that like the people there usually have heard of the band at least many of them have heard of the band. Or at least their popular song. Like, they, they, oh, yeah, I know that one song. But it's ne- but the people who are there are not there for the band. <laughs> it's, it's all the WBC attendees there mostly to talk to each other. And so you have this band off on one side playing on the stage, playing mostly to people's backs. And there's this huge, like, open area in front of the stage where nobody wants to stand because everyone's trying to get away from the band so they can hear each other talk. (laughs) So the band is playing to effectively a bunch of people who would rather they turn the volume down and stop like, so, <laughs> it's it's a terrible gig for the band like it it is so awkward and i feel so bad like like the the band like they'll finish a song and there will be literally like four people near them clapping and everyone else just like dead silent like it's not, it's not that bad sometimes bands oh, do have a little a little group of fans who are close by <laughs> who are actually into it i mean like the band is a separate thing but like i feel like the people who are not there for the band their needs are not served much better than the band and when I think about it being in, in uh, Bill Graham Auditorium, if there's going to be a band, there's nowhere to run from that band. There's nowhere to hide. Like you're just <laughs> Yeah, to me, that's why like, I'm curious about this, because it sounds like that would make all the problems worse. Yeah, well, no, it would, might eliminate the problem in terms of if you, the only reason you would possibly go to it is if you want to see the band, because you're not going to be able to have any discussion with anybody in the giant auditorium with a huge sound system. It's not, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's like when you two played at the watch event, it's not like people were having conversations in the back of the room. You couldn't hear yourself think. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Oh, uh, what? How great would it be if the band was U two and they only played Songs of Innocence? That's a not a bad album, you know. First of all, <laughs> yeah, Although, I had a feeling they, they, the single they chose to play off into the Watch event. Yeah, you know, not not the best song. Anyway, uh, it's not going to be U two again. But if it was, I would go. <laughs> wow, I didn't even go to the Bash last year. Yeah, I don't think I've seen you there in several years now. Yeah, I usually have uh, conflicts with other with other things, and but you know, I, I have the times I've gone to the Bash, I have enjoyed it. We've hid way in the back, and you go from circle of people to circle of people, and you yell really loud until your voices don't give out. But it's like it's the one time I feel like I get to see everybody because everybody, you know, all the people I know are hiding in the back in little clusters and i can find them whereas during the conference if you happen to pick the same session as somebody you see where they're sitting you can talk to them briefly before or after but the bashes you know it's a gathering of people and it's like the end of the conference and i have fond memories of the few years that i uh, that i went there uh it's just not not ideal for the purpose that uh, i would like to use it for well and that's but i think that's like what most like i think most people are there to socialize they're not there to see a band it, you know and yerba Wayne was already like it was 
crowded in there like even like trying to walk through and just like get from one side to the other or to get to the food things or to you know to to leave or to enter you were going it was such a crowd it was like walking through Times square like it's you're like trying to like wedge between people to like weave through like it was always very densely packed at least in recent years you just look for craig hockenberry's head and navigate based on that it was <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> yeah. oh it's so true for those who don't know craig hockenberry is approximately 13 feet tall about that so the bash is going to be at um bill graham i don't know i i that's a weird setup like you guys said and i do feel for the bands that play the bash because they usually whether or not you like the music generally speaking the bands are good and they're typically up-and-coming bands but just like marco said it's the worst gig in the world because at least half if not three quarters of the of the audience has their back to you because they are not paying attention to you at all they just want to talk and god i feel for them um it was a lottery again this year obviously i have very mixed feelings about well no i don't have mixed feelings about it i'm very sad at the way the lottery turned out selfishly speaking but wait i just got in seriously yeah i just got the email oh see i told you 25th you have until nothing for me sorry casey that's okay um so yeah so the lottery um generally speaking I think I'm pretty heavily in favor of it. It's the least crappy alternative I think that we have. Um, And we talked about this uh, around a year ago. I I don't think I'm going to spend the time to dig up what episode or episodes it it was in the show notes. It might have even been two years ago when this was a new thing. But anyways, um, I do think even as someone um, who has, as we record now, still does not have a ticket... um, I do think it's the most fair way of doing things, and I am in support of it because even though I appreciated being Johnny on the spot when back when there was at least a moment to <laughs> to uh, no, I to just, order, I just laugh because the when I whenever I hear anybody say Johnny on the spot, I can only think of the uh, brand of portable toilet of that name that was all over my baseball fields in my youth. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I don't even know what to make of that. Um, so when you say I'm, I was Johnny on the spot, like no, that's not that's not how I perceive <laughs> that phrase. Ay ay ay. Well, in any case, I was very quick uh, to order a ticket back when um, back when you had some amount of control over over such things, and um, I do think that in the grand scheme of things, the lottery is the best way to do it. One other idea that I heard about Billy Graham being a larger venue is that they are anticipating a fall-off in terms of attendance and potentially could invite more people. I have no idea if this is true, but this is a theory that I heard. Like, So say they can invite 5,000 people, because that's what Moscone holds. Uh, 5,000 people go to the keynote and State of the Union, and then the next day comes, and 4,000 people show up to go to sessions for the rest of the week, right? So if you have a larger venue for Billy Graham, you could have, uh, for, for the keynote, you could have uh, invite more people and expect kind of like how you expect like no shows or whatever, or, you know, restaurant reservations, like essentially overbook it um, to account for the fact that a lot of people are just going to go to the first day's festivities and will not appear every single day for the rest of the conference. That is a theory I heard. I don't put much stock in it, but it is another potential benefit. But getting back to the lottery, like how do you deal with the fact that more people want to come then can go you can move it to a different city to a bigger venue you can use more of moscone um maybe this is like a weird hybrid solution we'll see also i think uh so billy graham versus bill graham i assume this is different right (laughs) because you keep saying billy graham that's very different (laughs) 
I think this is I, this is somebody else, right? Yeah, I'm misspeaking in my typical way. Please, please autocorrect <laughs> what I am saying to the place where the WWDC keynote is being held. If I had said the wrong place, just pretend I didn't say that. Pretend I said the right thing. It appears that Bill Graham was a concert promoter, and that's probably who the who the auditorium was named after, right? And then Billy Graham is uh, is was not not <laughs> a concert promoter. His friends could have called him Billy. You don't know. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Okay. I don't even know where to go from here. Um, In any case, uh, the other thing that was interesting was, I don't recall how this was last year because I did get a ticket last year, but I'll find out this year. Check your email. I don't know. Just keep hitting refresh. Yeah, that's totally going to work. If it makes you feel better, I also just got the email from Tesla advertising all the new features of the Model S that my car doesn't have. Oh, that makes me feel marginally better. But um, they're going to be broadcasting. uh, Actually, let me read the quote from the website. We will we will be live streaming sessions daily and posting videos of all our sessions throughout the week of the conference. Did they live stream anything other than like Monday last year? I had thought they were very, very quick on the turnaround, but I don't recall them live streaming regular sessions. Is that true? Live streaming. That means they've opened the door to streakers. (laughs) (laughs) Thousands of developers around the world are watching, learning about Core Foundation, and then all of a sudden... From the corner, runs right across the stage. Oh, my God. I don't even know where to go from here either. <laughs> Was that guy English? <laughs> <laughs> I, of, all the, of all the people who I've seen you know, comment on the fact that they're live streaming uh, this year, th- this, con- this concern is unique to you, John. Well, no, it's, it's kind of like the same way Like they got rid of the Q&A. It used to be that at the end of the sessions, they would have Q&A, and they got rid of that for it was just not constructive use of everyone's time, oh, I terrible. imagine, because you know what Q&As are like. But on the other hand, sometimes you got some amusing or interesting questions. Uh, there was the time they bailed on the Q&A about the App Store because people were really angry and they didn't want to deal with that, so they just ended it. And then, Q, you know, so like Q&A is another example where you don't know what you're going to get. You have a prepared uh, presentation and you give it, and then anything can happen. And when you're there at WWDC, sometimes people yell something out from the audience that's funny that doesn't make it into the video because they edited it out or they edit out the little aside. And usually people being excited about an, a new API or a new parameter or something very nerdy like that. This is one of the unique benefits of being there in person. Anyway, if they live stream it and someone was to yell something out in the audience, uh, then that would make it to the live stream, but probably not to the recorded one that they edit down. Oh, def- I mean, like the recorded ones, they edit out like applause and laughter. And, like, any little tiny slip-up, they edit that out, too. Like, the recorded ones, they are extremely uh, unfun. Yeah, I agree. Um, Anything else on WWDC? Enjoy, you two. You're going to get in, (laughs) Plenty of time. you got three days, Casey. Three whole days for Apple PR to listen to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. All Apple PR wants to do is listen to the Accidental Tech Podcast. That's that's how they spend their Saturday that's night. All they do. What, what else do they have to do with their time? Well, actually, it's not even going to be released. Yeah, Marco, you got to release this tomorrow. Give me a chance here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. We are also sponsored tonight by Ring, the Ring Video Doorbell. Go to ring.com slash ATP to see the Ring Video Doorbell. Now, 
Video doorbells are pretty cool gadgets, and there's lots of reasons to have them for convenience, of course. You know, there's you can see who's at your door, you can respond, and what's really cool is there's advanced motion detection here. This alerts you whether or not somebody actually rings the doorbell or not. If, if there's just like a person who walks up to your door, Ring will alert you about that too. It's like caller ID for your house. Like no matter whether, whether somebody rings the doorbell or not, they alert you to it. Um, and they also, this is the cool thing about this, they alert you regardless of whether you're home or not. Because it uses your phone in addition to your actual doorbell like ringer. So if you're not home, you still get notified and you can respond through two-way audio through the ring doorbell. So you can pretend like you're home. You can tell a delivery person maybe to leave the package there, you know, whatever else. So the advantages here are not only your convenience, but also safety for your home and your possessions. Because Ring has found that over 95% of home break-ins and burglaries happen during the day. And burglars usually start by ringing your doorbell to see if somebody's home. And of course, if they're home, you, they generally move on, right? So with the Ring video doorbell, it can actually be a security benefit as well, not only showing you when people walk up to your door and having a record of that, uh, but also it, it can help deter people. First of all, they know they're being watched once you respond, and they'll think you're home, and so they'll move on. And it can really, they've actually found in, in studies and in, and in uh, test trials, they've actually found drops in break-in rates when ring video doorbells are installed. It's really quite effective at that. So in addition to all the incredible convenience features of having a video doorbell, it's pretty great for home security as well. So check it out today. It can work with your existing wiring for your doorbell, or they also have a model that uses a battery, so you don't need to wire it. Check it out today. It's in, it's incredibly easy to install. Go to ring.com slash ATP. This is widely recognized as a great gadget by uh, Time Magazine, USA Today, to name a few. Uh, it really is worth checking out. So check it out today. Listeners get a free uh, expedited shipping rate by using our code. So go to if you go to ring.com slash ATP, you get free fast shipping. Check it out today with the Ring Video Doorbell. You're always home. Go to ring.com slash ATP now. Thanks a lot. Uh, John, while you were on vacation in California, forgetting what reality was, um, you bought some new hardware. I got to buy it in the uh, official Apple store. I don't know what you call it. It's the the one at one infinite loop. They have a little Apple store there. The company store. I'm I'm told that it used to look very different, but now it just looks like a regular Apple store. I, I think it used to have like racks of clothes in it and stuff, and you can buy like like mugs and silly things like that. I don't know. I never went to it. Is that all gone? I've only seen the old one. I haven't seen the new one. Yeah, the new one just looks like an Apple store. It's a bunch of tables. It's got a big screen on two of the walls. It's really neat. Have you seen what these screens? I don't know how they work. It's like a cloth type thing. I assume it's rear projection or something. Uh, anyway. Can you still buy t-shirts and stuff? They do have t-shirts. They're they're displayed very strangely. They're like stretched over these little rectangles, so you can't tell that they're shirts. You just have to assume <laughs> that the fabric stretched into that rectangle shape has sleeves and a place for your head to come out and stuff. Uh but yeah, you can buy t-shirts. In fact, someone I saw someone there buying a lot of t-shirts, uh, and I was just adding up how much they must cost because each one of those t-shirts is surely like thirty bucks or something. Anyway, oh yeah, they're not, they're not well priced. <laughs> yeah, I meant to buy it, uh, uh, buy something before I left, but uh, as the date approached, you're worried that the shipping's going to come and you're going to be on a plane. I'm like, you know what? I'm going there. Uh, I'm I can just go to Apple and get it. So I did. Um, I got myself a uh, normal size iPad Pro and a pencil and the. <laughs> The smart cover, and I got the back silicone cover thing as well. Um, and I also got a replacement iPad for my son. He, he got the Air. Uh, this was his combined birthday present with a bunch of other things. Replacing his iPad, too, that he's destroyed, utterly destroyed. So 
hopefully now that he's older and a little bit wiser he will not utterly destroy this ipad but it'll be a big upgrade from his non-retina ipad 2 that he's been using um but the pro i mean as you would imagine upgrading from an ipad 3 is fantastic everything is fast yes. and beautiful and the screen is amazing i left true tone on i you know i tried the little demo of it on and off I was worried that it would bother me that I would notice, but I don't. And I think it's great. And I think that screen is amazing. And I'm really happy about it. The silicone back thing, I don't know what you call it, the case. That's the only question mark. I have it on now. It's only the back, so it's not the front. The the, the smart cover I have on the front. The back and the front fit together really nicely. But I mean, which looks neat when it's all closed up, but it makes it harder to open. You have to sort of find where the edge is. It doesn't, you know, with with a smart cover, you can kind of do that smart cover thing that I think everyone unconsciously does, where you you can slide out the smart cover slightly to get it poking off the edge of the iPad and then pull it up with your thumb. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, with the case, it kind of seats together and it's a little bit harder to get the edge. And when you're holding it, of course, there's a little lip around the whole thing. And I'm of two minds on the lip, it is bad and that it's you know it's a little ridge where once it was smooth but it is good coming from the ipad 3 and that i wish the borders around the ipad were a little bit bigger for thumb gripping and that little ridge gives an extra grippy area to make up for the fact that the sides when held in portrait orientation are not as wide um and also it does like it doesn't block the speakers there are little holes in the case for the, for the four speakers to come out but i wonder if it's affecting the audio quality although the audio quality is so again so much better than this stupid one little tinny speaker on my ipad 3 God, it's amazing i heartily recommend uh not upgrading your ios device for however many years i kept that ipad 3 because <laughs> wow what an upgrade <laughs> well you've also like like if you look at the ipad lineup in retrospect they're you know they're all pretty good like there really weren't any like bad ipads but if you had to pick one as the worst ipad ever released it's the ipad 3 I would say the iPad 4. I think the iPad 4 is worse. Because here's why. No, the iPad what? 4 was the well, iPad 4 was the iPad 3, but with a faster processor and the lightning port, right? Yeah, but... But you had to you but, had to wait later to get that. You got the iPad 3. It was the first Retina one, and you feel like, I waited. That's what I did. I waited a really long time. I wasn't going to buy them when they are Retina, and I bought it when it was Retina. When the 4 came out, I didn't feel bad, because one came out that was slightly faster and had a lightning port. I felt good that I had the Retina one while for the three months that people were waiting for the 4. And the battery life has been great. And like, I mean, the iPad three is is a great iPad. I feel like, yes, it was big and it was hot, but yeah, but you know, like as I said, like none of the iPads have been really bad. But just like you know, if you had to pick one as the worst, I think everybody would agree the iPad three was the worst of these pretty good products. Uh, I would pick the the mini with the two internals. I think was worse because you have to account for the time that it was released. The mini with the two internals was released after the two, Mm. but it was as slow as the two, and it was non Retina. And I think that was the the dog of the iPad line. Anyway, I. I've enjoyed my iPad 3. It served me well. It's a reasonable counter-argument. It served me well, um, but the, I think this iPad is going to go down as one of the really good ones because it is, it, it's very impressive and it's a big step up from the other ones. I haven't really used the pencil yet, so I don't know. I don't know what, what I'm going to use the pencil for. I'm debating trying to use it for navigation now that all of the people fought for my right to use it for navigation <laughs> uh, all right well maybe i'll try it for that uh, i just bought it because i mean i've used it in the store and everything i know what it's like um but i just bought it because it supports it and i'll surely find something to do with it and if not i'll have this neat little accessory um yeah i'm, I'm enjoying it oh and what i didn't enjoy was itunes nobody enjoys itunes i brought my ipad 3 with me on the trip expecting to do a full encrypted iTunes backup and then plug in the new iPad and restore my encrypted iTunes backup onto it. And so basically just what I had in my iPad 3 now is on my new iPad Pro. That seems like it should work. It has worked for me in the past. 
I did the backup from the iPad 3 to the computer that I brought with me, and that worked fine. And then I tried to restore onto the iPad Pro, and that did not work fine. It would take a really long time. Halfway through, an error would occur. Then the iPad Pro would reboot. Uh, and I tried it many different times and many different permutations across reboots, restarting both devices, trying different techniques to, you know, redoing the, the backups. I mean, it just never worked. I spent many, many hours trying to get iTunes to restore into this. I had to eventually resort to an iCloud backup, and everyone knows what that's like. You lose half your stuff that you had there. I had to re-sign into all my Slack things. You don't get any of your passwords saved, so you have to re-enter all that information, and it takes a year and a day to put all your apps back on. So good old iTunes uh, screwed me one last time, and we'll continue <laughs> to because like the next time I get an iOS device, if, if I have the choice between doing an encrypted backup and getting all those things and doing it the iCloud way with the current limitations, I'll still try the iTunes way. But Agreed. That was not fun. Well, I'm glad you got the new hardware, and... I'm glad you like it. I mean, you've been waiting a long, long, long time. Did you get LTE? I did. On Verizon, or did you just get the Apple SIM one? Or I, You don't have a choice when you buy it. You just say, with cellular, and that's what you get. You get with cellular, and so mine has cellular. And it, it, during the setup, it was trying to tell me, hey, hook it up to it, but I'm not, you know, I'll, I'll add it to my uh, Verizon account when I go to WWC, which uh, people were asking, why would you bother doing that? Doesn't every place have Wi-Fi, and you have an iPhone? Uh Every place does have Wi-Fi, but Wi-Fi is not made to support 3,000 nerds with a million devices. And so the Wi-Fi is usually not particularly healthy. Um, tethering, in my experience, has not worked particularly reliably. Uh, the most reliable way to get any kind of internet access, in the middle of Moscone anyway, with a bunch of other nerds, in my experience, has been Verizon. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I bought... I've had, I think, four iPads, and this last, the the prior one to this one, and the one I got for Christmas, both of them have been uh, have been uh, with cellular, and I couldn't agree with you more that that's the way to do it in general. I mean, it is like one hundred thirty dollars more money, so it is fairly expensive, but I really prefer to have an onboard cellular connection if I so desire, even in in general, just at, even outside WWDC. And then when you're in WWDC, holy crap, it's so much better being on any cellular network than it is being on the WWDC Wi-Fi, particularly keynote day. But I'm not going to have to worry about that this year. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't know. Well, also, like, know. in so many ways, like, it just makes sense to kind of, like, bring your own connection places like you know not only is it generally more consistent and more reliable it's also more secure like you know you don't have to join somebody's crazy wi-fi like, i mean you know if you're using some kind of vpn software that's a little bit different but like most people and you know we like to think that everything is done over https but it's not still you know there's still a lot of things that aren't uh so i think for most people using a tethered connection is way more secure than using some hotel wi-fi or something yeah Alrighty. Well, any other thoughts on your new hardware? My color choices for the case were kind of difficult. I I've been going with kind of gray or black in the past, and I almost did it again, but I decided to go with midnight blue this time. I wish there were Ooh. other colors that were more exciting. I really do like the red, but my wife has claimed the red, and so due to uh, to avoid <laughs> in-house confusion, in-house iOS device confusion, I I've been kicked out of red which is exactly what I would buy. <laughs> I wish there was like a, a, a better blue that looked more blue, but I went with the midnight blue. So at least it's not black. I, of course, I got the, the uh, space gray device, but you can't see any of the space gray because it's all in a case now. 
Yeah, why did you get the silicon case? It seems so peculiar to me. I've never had a back case on any of my iPads. I know. Neither have I. This isn't the first one, but it's so so much thinner than the iPad 3, as you can imagine. And I like the idea of a little bit of extra protection and a little bit of extra grip. And so far, I'm like, like my problems are not around back. My problems are like the, the ridge and opening it. And I'll see if it annoys me, I'll take it off and, you know, lesson learned. But so far, I'm keeping it in there. Uh, and I kind of like it. Space gray in front, party in the back. <laughs> no, it's not wow. space gray in the front. You messed that up. It's black in the front. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. So I so I'm curious. So you know, like if you if you if you're a beer person, you have undoubtedly heard from somebody who has ever drank beer before that oh well, you have to go have Guinness at the Guinness Brewery in Ireland. It's so much better there. And I, I, honestly, uh, having done that, I think it's about the same. Uh, then <laughs> please don't email me all of Ireland. Uh, but I wonder, like. Should the should the iPad that you buy at One Infinite Loop at the company store should that be like a little bit better than all the other, all the other iPads? Should it be like should it like you know smell fresher or should it be like five percent faster or something? Like, don't you feel like you should have gotten something special? Oh yeah, no the the CPU the CPU is five megahertz faster. Yeah, yeah. Like, didn't tell you that. No, mine has four gigs of RAM. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No. I think it's about the same, and the only difference is I think the Apple Store was a little bit less crowded when I went in. Like when I when I got in there, I feel like wow, this is actually you know pretty empty for an Apple Store. But by the time I was done with my transaction and picking everything out and getting everything everything all packaged up, that store was mobbed. So I think I just came before the rush. Yeah, well, a lot of times like they'll have like tour buses that stop there. Yeah, I don't know what. Well, I did see a company tour. Like, I, it was a bunch of people in suits. I think they were being led around by someone from Apple. Like, we have them at our place too. Important people come and they want to show them, like, on a big tour. And all the people are all dressed up like they're executives from some other other company. So I saw one group like that, and then just a bunch of other people that came in a big mob after me. The other advantage is that the uh, the parking lots at Apple are filled with interesting cars. Both the visitor parking lots and the employee parking lots are filled with very interesting <laughs> cars. Much more interesting cars than at the Natick Mall. Sorry, Natick Mall. <laughs> or the Chestnut Hill Mall, for that matter. Um, wow. Yeah, but like lots of lots of hybrids, lots of electric vehicles. I, I, one of the ones, I did I take a picture of it and show you? The, the hybrid Panamera? No, I don't think you did. It could have been one of those $260,000 uh, models. It's all black with fancy wheels. Just tons of uh, neat cars. Excellent. Yeah, I've never been to uh, Infinite Loop. I have always had something else to do back when they used to do the buses at WWDC, like not the official Apple ones. Like um, uh, there was a, an organization or like a group of people that would organize a bus trip down to infinite loop. And I just always had something else to do. I always visited with a, with a good friend of mine. And so I've never, ever, ever been. And Marco, you said you've been John, obviously you just went and I'm kind of jealous. I, I'd like to see it sometime, especially before it goes away forever. It was organized by a friend of everybody, Jeff Lamarche. Mm-hmm. Uh, he organized those those pilgrimage bus tours. I don't know if I don't know if anybody still does that, but yeah, those are those were kind of fun. Yeah, it's not like it's going away, but once Campus Two opens up, I imagine a lot of the important things that are currently at One Infinite Loop will be moved to Campus Two. Like Tim Cook's office is somewhere there at One Infinite Loop, and I assume Hills will move to Campus Two, as will many other people. Maybe the Apple Store will move. I don't know, but this is the last the last moments that One Infinite Loop is the face of Apple. Yep. Uh, hopefully I'll get to see it sometime. Maybe some, well, potentially I'll have a lot of free time that week, so maybe <laughs> I'll rent a car and, and go check it out. Oh, I'm sad again. Thank you a lot to our three sponsors this week, Betterment, Ring, and Fracture, and we will see you next week. <laughs>
Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin. Cause it was accidental. Oh, it was accidental. John didn't do any research. Marco and Casey wouldn't let him. Cause it was accidental. Oh, it was accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C A S E Y L I S S. So that's Casey Liss, M A R C O A R M E N T, Marco Armin, S I R A C U S A Syracuse. It's accidental. Did you reload uh, your your email app? I've been I've been looking at my bank and then telling myself you're just jinxing it. Stop looking, waiting five minutes, looking again. You're jinxing yourself. Stop looking, waiting five. <laughs> Why minutes, are you jinxing yourself? Again. Stop jinxing yourself. Exactly. Stop hitting yourself. Stop jinxing yourself. Just stop all the things. And no, no dice. Sad Casey. Sad. So if you want to have a bit of a neutral, if, if we, unless we have something else to talk about, I'm talking about my, my bagel post. Oh, yeah. First of all, yeah. So we have to cover your bagel post. So, John, you blogged for the first time in how long? Over a year. Slightly over a year. Okay. The content of your blog post is a bulleted list. Can you explain this blog post, please? So, on this podcast, it's not called Developing Perspective and not called Under the Radar, but is called Top Four. (laughs) Some people, one of whom is here, talked about their Top Four bagel varieties or flavors uh and i listened to this podcast on the way out to san francisco i thought i had prepared myself for this podcast <laughs> because one person involved in the podcast grew up on long island like i did and the other person was marco but i, felt, I thought i felt like i was ready <laughs> i was not ready for the lists that would appear i could not have predicted these lists they were just more upsetting and fantastical and uh, unexpected than i could have imagined I paid for the in-flight Wi-Fi just so I could complain to Marco directly about this podcast. (laughs) And I vowed that when I got done with this vacation, I was going to blog again. And what I was going to blog was a list of canonical bagel flavors. And that's exactly what I did. I made a blog post that lists the canonical bagel flavors. And I feel like this needed to be done for for posterity. That Google will spider it. Archive.org will archive it somewhere. That someday aliens will dig up our civilization when we're long gone and find this blog post that is succinct to the point, not a lot of dancing around. It is just a list that lists the canonical bagel flavors. And I feel much better having done it. And yes, it happens to be about a year since last time. Yeah, so obviously I have some nitpicks here. The flavors you've listed uh, are are noticeably missing some of the ones that we mentioned during our show. And there are some that we even said during the show were not canonical old school bagels like the asiago cheese bagel uh, you know that's i don't think you need to say old school here here's here's i didn't want to put a lot of commentary in this because i don't think it's necessary for the post but for the purposes of the podcast there is a distinction to be made between this is not a bagel versus this is a canonical bagel flavor you understand like the distinction like <laughs> the sort of uh you know well let's let's make up a, i'm trying to make up one that doesn't actually exist and i don't know if i'm going to succeed but let's say the cheesecake bagel is not a bagel. 
<laughs> I guarantee right? that exists somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, someone is making that, right? But there are bagels on this list that are bagels that are just not among the canonical bagel flavors. There were some difficult decisions to make. I'm not going to lie. I thought I was going to rattle this thing off. <laughs> Push came to shove. I had to make some very hard calls here that some people are upset about, and I understand their upsetness. <laughs> the big one, I feel like, is garlic. Garlic bagel is a bagel, right? Oh, yeah. It, so, just, missed, it just missed the list. Well, so, so I'm curious. So, like, you have, obviously, you have plain poppy, sesame, everything. Those, for, for bagel places, those are always, like, the top four. Um, that that ding that that always not on your list <laughs> not on your list mr asiago cheese so that was tiff sorry <laughs> by sales volume actually I, I bet asiago cheese is up there for for stores that do sell it um, especially those in the midwest but not a bagel by the way uh, no it's still look so anyway uh, there are some inconsistencies i think in your list so obviously plain poppy sesame uh, everything those have to be on every bagel list for because just by sales volume people have voted and that's what always goes no, there. that's not that's not how this list works this but, list does not work by sales volume well but so i'm curious you've included onion and salt yes but not garlic yes. that seems inconsistent that's right it's a tough call here's the here's the there is a if you go through this list this list is like a little story Right, it's not. It's an unordered list. It's OL, or it's it's uh no UL, right? It's not OL. It's UL, right? It's an unordered list, <laughs> yes. but there is an order. So I'm not plain is there, but it's not next to a number one, next to a bullet point. But there's a reason it's at the top, right? It's you start off and you feel like is you know all right plain poppy sesame, and I spent a long time thinking about whether poppy or sesame would come second, all right? Egg, cinnamon raisin, which Marco keeps omitting for some strange reason. Everything. It's further down the list, and and for, by sales volume, by the way, I think I think sesame uh, outdoes poppy. That's not a, sales volume does not factor into this. I think all. sales volume it would be plain everything sesame poppy. I don't know. It depends on where where it's being sold and who's buying. All right. So <laughs> cinnamon raisin throws off a little bit, and then you've got everything, and you got egg everything. Why is egg everything? Why is egg everything even on this list? Why is it not next to egg? Why is it under everything? Why does cinnamon raisin come between it? I was going to nitpick your inclusion of egg everything as well, because I don't mm-hmm. think, this, it, or on a list that's this restrictive and this short, I don't think egg everything belongs on that list. Uh, I know, but like, so here's, the, I, I spent a long time, I spent the whole vacation thinking about this, <laughs> right? Why is, why is egg everything on the list and garlic is not? It just, this is what it comes down to. These are the canonical flavors. Garlic does not make the cut. Egg everything does. Egg everything is the most borderline. If I had to delete one, I would delete egg everything. Right, if I had to make the list one shorter, uh, but no, but this is it. Onion, onion makes it. Salt make it. Pumpernickel. People don't talk about pumpernickel, but it's there. I talked about pumpernickel. You had talked about rye, which I said not. the rye family of flavors, which includes. Yeah, you can't like in your typical one of trying to pick seventeen different bagels for your item number four. Pumpernickel is a rye. I know, but you have to pick one. It includes rye, marble, and pumpernickel in the pumper in the rye family of bagels <laughs> yes. because most places don't have all three of those. And so, if I want that, I will pick whichever one of those they have that looks the best. You also pick the one that you didn't know the name of, which was like the one with oats on the outside that's brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is that called according to you? Even though it isn't on this list, apparently, unless it's called egg everything. It's, the reason it's not on the list is it doesn't have a name. Some people call it multi-grain. Some people call it like wheat or grain. Like that, it's not even no. It's it does not make the list. Does not make the list. I have a question. What is it that makes bagels in New York and Montreal, although Montreal is a loose definition of bagel, what is it that makes <laughs> both of those what is what is it that makes both of those bagels so good? Uh I 
I don't know. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of research about this. Of, is it the water? Is it the starter? Is it the what? I think. I mean, obviously, this is the basics like cooking technique. Like, if you don't boil your bagels, you're not making bagels, and the, that just forget it. You know, they're totally off the rails there. But I mean, this is recipe, ingredients, and preparation, and and caring about what you make. I mean, like think, think about Lenders bagels. Like Lenders bagels are supermarket bagels made in in techniques that uh, that have to scale up to huge volumes. Real bagels. They make them in the morning, and you come and buy them. And as Marco pointed out on the show, if you come in the afternoon, they're not as good. And that's just the, the kind of product. You're not going to ship it in a truck across the country frozen. Like it's just, it's not going to be the same thing. I don't know why Montreal has a particular bagel culture, but it's it's like bread. Like why is bread good in some places? Bad. Why do you have like bad supermarket bread? And some bakeries have really good bread. And the bakeries have really good bread. Where do you get that bread? And when? It's a time of day, and they make it every day. And you know, that's that's what it comes down to. You're wrong. All right, here's the thing. The chat room is wrong. You're wrong. I'm really disappointed in everyone. Though the origins of bagels are somewhat obscure, says the Origin of Truth Wikipedia, it is known that they were widely consumed in the Eastern European, European Jewish communities from the 17th century. The reason that New York bagels and Montreal, air quote, bagels, air quote, are so good is because of the significant Jewish population in both of those cities. Of the three of us, I think we can unequivocally decide which one of us is the most Jewish of the three of us, and that is yours truly. And the fact that you two are arguing about something that you are completely unqualified to discuss, I just think is hysterical. False. You didn't grow up in New York, the New York metro area. You knew nothing about really? bagels, John Snow. Really? You know nothing about them. It doesn't come as part of your genetics. You don't make bagels for a living, and even if you did, you don't make them in the New York metro area. People who know John. food know it from where they grow up with it. That's where the knowledge of the food comes from, and not from any sort of, not in your DNA. And never mind, like, the, the heritage, it's like me claiming to know stuff about Italian food. I know nothing about Italian food. I've never been to Italy. I know Italian-American food, because I'm Italian-American, and those immigrants came to where I grew up, and they sold food there. And I have <laughs> I fully expect the New York metro area bagels had nothing to do with whatever bagels you're talking about in the 17th century from Europe. Who knows what those were like? All I know is what they're like in the New York metro area. John, you forget that I spent a large portion of my childhood either in New York State or in Connecticut, literally so close to New York, I could walk and get there. That's how close it was. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah uh-huh. That's what people who are not in the New York metro area say about it. I'm, I was in Connecticut. That's like New York. We have Frank Pepe's. It's just, no. <laughs> oh, God. So, so two things. Number one, uh, I think... All of our cultural backgrounds aside, I think this is one of those things where you have to pull a GIF slash George Lucas uh, and just say, you know what, even though academically you should be right on this, you're not. Uh, And secondly, only one of us still lives in the New York metro area. Yeah, well, Marco, the only thing you can lord over us, Marco, is that you have access to good bagels. And (laughs) and believe me, I am sufficiently jealous of that. Believe me. And sometimes when we discuss, you know, like when you were talking about, like, what if Marco would ever move someplace other than New York? And I would say, why would he do that? He would be leaving behind pizza and bagels. Why would he ever move? I would hate you so much if you ever moved. Because I'd be like, you're throwing it away. You've got it right there. You've got a house. You've got a Tesla. You've got a kid. You've got bagels and pizza. Why would you ever go any? Oh, self-employment tax, blah, blah, blah. Now just, it's worth it for the bagels. Oh, there's a reason I still tolerate all of New York's BS. Because I like a lot of the stuff here. <laughs> Believe me, New York has no shortage of BS and hostility that encourages people to flee. Uh, But those of us who are still here, which is one of us, are, uh, (laughs) are, are here for good reasons. Good, round, malted reasons. To make it so that no one who listens to this podcast ever actually has to go to this blog post, uh, after the list it says also Bialis. (laughs) Yeah, which I, I have no problem including Bialis, although 
I'm not sure I would call the the Bialy a bagel flavor. It's not. It says also. It's a separate list. Also, Bialy's. Yeah, but the title of the entire post is Canonical Bagel Flavors, and it includes list. And, and then, then it says, these are the canonical bagel flavors, and it gives a list, and then it says also Bialy's. It's trying <laughs> to say also Bialy's exist, and they are good. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. And they are good, although I'm not so sure about your supermarket Bialy's. I feel like something's up here. You should, next time you're here, I'll have you try one, and you can tell me how, how it compares. I have had Bialis from, like, good bagel bakeries and stuff, and they're good, too, but the supermarket ones, I think, are just better mm. th- from, than the ones I've had. Now, granted, I, I haven't looked very hard at, like, what's the best Bialy in Westchester or the city. I haven't looked that hard, but the Bialis I've had at bagel places have not been substantially better or better at all than the ones I get from my local grocery store. Now, I, I know that's probably... I'm probably missing something big here because that shouldn't be the case. I mean, maybe they're buying them from a local bagel place. It could be the same. You have to know where they're they're sourced from. It could be the same thing. It could be the bagel place it's that true. goes into the supermarket and, and sells them. But anyway, I'm I'm not a big uh, fan of Bialis, but I always felt like when we would get bagels uh, growing up, there'd be one or two Bialis thrown in. They get eaten. You know, just it's just in in the mix. Well, where do we go from here? I, I, how can we? Uh, I mean, gotta go to Margot's house and buy bagels. What we gotta do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, what, what were we going to talk about about the Tesla? I was in a Tesla earlier today. Well, I, I, I just had a, a, a minor update, but it's not time sensitive, so so you can uh, you, let's Whatever. let's hear about your your time in a Tesla. Oh, it, it really was uneventful. I went from work to uh, my favorite local barbecue joint, and then back, and I was a passenger, but it was good. Cool. All right, were you in the back seat or front seat? Yeah, I was. I was. I was in the front seat. I fiddled with the comically absurdly ridiculously oversized uh touchscreen um i learned that tesla has its own like pandora-esque service well no it's slacker oh whatever it is okay uh i learned the web browser is being used by enterprising developers to make kind of sort of third-party mega air quotes apps mega air quotes oh the browser's terrible yeah but i forget what underscore had on his but it was something that like integrated um traffic and issue reporting from Waze with the onboard GPS because it just uses the HTML5 location API. Um, And I I don't recall exactly what the URL was. I don't recall exactly what it was called, but it would show a map with the stuff that Waze reported. And Waze is very good about having up to the second accurate reports on uh, traffic conditions and obstructions Hmm. and police officers and things of that nature. That's interesting. Um, So he, he had that up on his web browser. Well, he didn't have the web browser up at all, but when I was fiddling with it while he was driving, um, that's the last thing it had up on his web browser. That was pretty neat. Um, I don't know. It's it's impressive. I actually, I tried when I when I first got it. I actually tried to see like, can I use that as an overcast interface? And the 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 basic answer is no, because the, the there is no ability for the browser to play audio. Um, for I think I, I assume for safety or DOT regulations, they've disabled audio and video elements from playing in, in the built-in browser. Um, but video makes sense. Audio, I don't think does, because there's lots of other ways to play audio from the internet in the Tesla. So I don't know. Fair enough. So what's your update? So I just I I, I wanted to to uh, put somewhere, and I was either going to be a blog post or here, and here is probably the better place for it. Just the just the the sheer difference in how other people seem to be perceiving me having a Tesla, like people in the world, my neighbors things like that. So, you know, coming from a loud, black, sporty BMW to a silent, 
red environmental future car. <laughs> I feel like the way, like, so I know, like, I know f- immediately, like, my neighbors and the people on the block hated hearing my my loud car, and they probably thought I was a jerk for driving it. And even when I wasn't going fast, it sounded like I was going fast, and and I would imagine uh, that didn't win me any favors uh, around the block. And nobody ever commented like if like if I was getting out of the car or you know if somebody saw me like in it with the windows down or in the parking lot, nobody ever commented positively about the BMW except occasionally like some like dude in his 20s hey nice you know something like that but that would be it car guys yeah. car guys look appreciatively i would i look at appreciatively at the m cars that i see sure yeah so do i still but anyway wait wait. but people would make snarky comments about the, about the loudness of it or whatever absolutely yeah neighbors and yeah like you know it, it was it was noticed and was generally not appreciated by many of the people around it and and i just kind of like you just kind of get the feel like People think I'm a jerk by driving this car, you know, because you kind of seem like a jerk if you drive a loud. You think, you think the Tesla is helping with that or hurting? <laughs> right. So I expected, you know, this might be, you know, a little bit worse in some ways, especially because now it's red. So it's more it's kind of more in your face. Uh, but turns out the way people treat somebody driving a red Tesla is way more positive than the way they treat people driving a loud black BMW. Uh, not so. First of all, I have gotten so many questions from people about it. This is this has been the biggest thing. This is kind of what I wanted to talk about. It's like the the amount of questions I've gotten has been shocking, and and most of the questions are roughly in the, in the same small group of buckets. But what's interesting, I think, is just like when you're driving a loud black sports car, even in an area like where I live, there's lots of BMWs. But e- even in an area with lots of lots of other loud black sports cars m5 is not a sports car point of order Mm, okay i i'm not sure i agree with that but okay Mm, Um, you don't agree with that m the m5 is not a sports car it's a sports sedan Mm, i don't agree Uh, with that yeah i don't know if coops cornered the market on good cars you guys can be happy to be wrong it is not a sports car that's fine although (laughs) well but i tell you what whether or not it is a sports car and i know marco said this but I, i think i should double down on this like it is really loud like stunningly loud for a stock completely unmodified car and you could absolutely hear marco coming from several houses <laughs> away if not like a block or two yeah, away. i think it's a block and that's not even necessarily because he tends to drive quickly just in general like if you've heard a loud car and you're thinking to yourself oh yeah whatever i've heard a loud car they're not that loud no really this thing is very loud or the m5 was very very loud i like that it made a good sound on the outside oh me too me too i'm not complaining i'm not complaining at all i'm just saying if you've never heard an m5 you would be surprised about how loud it is yeah and all the m cars are tuned specifically to be loud like the 1m was that loud all the m3s are that loud like that's just it's that's intentional you know so anyway and and I didn't, you know, I wouldn't choose that. I, I didn't have it because it was loud. I had it because it was fast. And it just so happened that to get things that fast, you had to also get them loud because that's just the way they were sold because most people who buy them want them to be that loud. Anyway, so now I, I have this silent car that uh, is, I guess, more friendly. Um, and so I'm getting tons of compliments on it from strangers oftentimes or people who have never commented about my car before i'll like when i get out of a parking lot i'll have questions from people like oh is that what is that is that electric is that is that a tesla and so first of all tesla has a level of awareness 
in the public that I was it is way higher than I expected. It, it's almost like an Apple level of awareness. Like the the amount of questioning I get and and the excitement people have over it is almost like when you like when the iPhone first came out. If you had the very first iPhone, you'd have people like, people would over would like see you with it and be like, oh my god, is that the iPhone? And they start asking you a couple questions about it or like they want to see it. That's how people are with the Tesla. Everyone seems to know first of all that there's a super fast one, and so I always have to kind of say, no, I didn't get that one. So you know, they're always like, oh, is this the insane one? No, I didn't get the insane one. It's still a fast car. So I didn't get that one. <laughs> and, then, and then, oh, how the mighty have fallen. I know, right? And then, <laughs> and then, uh, everyone also knows about autopilot. Like this, and this was this was kind of surprising because I didn't think it made that big of a splash, and or that it was that big of a deal. But everyone's like, is this the one that can steer itself? And then, again, these are like not necessarily like car nerds it's like every, like regular people know and they're asking about this and they ask oh how do you how does it go on the highway can you fill it up you know like and some people ask you know how is there also a gas engine or blah 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 so you know i'm just i'm doing a lot of explaining and like i assume like if you were one of the people who had one like who had like the first prius you know i i assume that you got a lot of questioning there even if you had like one of the first electric vehicles that that were that were pure electric, like like the like the Nissan Leaf or something like that, like I would imagine you'd occasionally get a question from from somebody like if they saw you plugging it in, and so they would so that would kind of call out that this is something different. But this is like when I'm just driving around, everyone just is really curious about this car. And I'm getting so many questions. The one thing that seems to blow people's mind the most. Well, two things. Number one, how much space there is inside, if, if they look inside. Number two, the big thing that blows everyone's mind is that superchargers are free. Mm, interesting. The that idea, you know, it's just like how like the, how like you know things being free kind of like make people's brains explode. Like I'm witnessing that whenever because usually they they will inevitably ask like, oh, so how do you, how do you do it on on long highway drives? Can you do it? And I'll I'll mention the superchargers, and they always ask, oh, but how much does it cost to fill up with those? And so, oh, it's 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 free. It's included, and they're like, "What?" And they cannot. They like it blows their mind that you can fill up for free, <laughs> even if it takes forty five minutes. Like it blows their mind that this is just free, even though you know if they charge for it, it would probably only be like two dollars. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be a lot of money if they're charging like whatever you know a fair rate would be for that electricity. But just the idea of that being free just blows people's minds. It's really interesting, and I've never gotten the level of like strangers coming up to me about anything that i have about this car so did you sell some teslas or do they eventually ask you how much it costs and then they run away i tend to not bring up the cost and they don't either <laughs> and so i i you know and and also a lot of them know about the model three a lot of them are like right. oh yeah I, is you know i i i heard about the new one it's gonna be a lot cheaper and, you know so i'm telling you like the the level of like awareness public awareness and and public interest in this company is way off the charts compared to what i expected so how many how old are the people who are asking these questions is kids adults really old people i mean i I, there aren't that many kids in in this area honestly uh i would i would (laughs) say don't let the kids in there no i well yeah well like so say you say you arrived to, to get chicken salad and lamborghini the five kids that are in your town would be talking to you about that car right probably but uh but yeah no i mean like most of the people asking are i'd say in their 40s to 60s that's like average who you'd expect to see just the people that are there i'm just wondering if it if it yeah. attracts it like the, the tesla awareness is it skewing young or old i would say it's all over the map 
like the electricians who were here the other day, like they, you know, you know obviously they're, they've seen them before because they have installed Tesla outlets for people before. Um, but they were asking all sorts of questions about it. And it was, it was an older guy and a younger guy. And, it, and then like th- today at the, in the, when I was getting lunch today, um, one of the uh, clerks at the post office, who who I knew from going in there a few times, she was in the parking lot. She's like, "Oh my god, that's your car! That's beautiful!" And she called she called her husband out of her car to come see it. Everyone is so interested in this car, and it's not like like this is not the first Tesla in my neighborhood. There there's there's at least four others that I that I see around on a regular basis. So like it's not and and have for a while now. So it's not like it's especially like the first one that's been around. How much of a factor do you think the color is? Certainly some, you know, because being a red car. But it's not like, you know, there are other red cars. Like, it's it's there's lots of other red cars in town. It, it's not like Ferrari red. It's not like a bright cherry. It's kind of like a medium red. It's not like super intense. It, it doesn't seem like it would be that visually catchy of a car. Like, it, it doesn't look that unusual compared to other cars. Speaking of unusual cars, when I was out in California, I saw that for the first time uh, i3s, which are everywhere there and are butt ugly. Yes. And the Model X, which are also <laughs> all over there and are also butt ugly. I have not seen an X yet in person. There was a lot of them. A lot of them in California do not like. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. Just as ungainly. I saw one in white. It was it literally looked like one of those, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, uh, those whales that are white. Starts with a B, maybe. Chat room, help me out. Beluga? Casey's BMW? Uh, ha, ha, ha. I'm already hurting. You don't need to stab me in the <laughs> back, too, you know. God, it's a tough crowd tonight. Oh, I'm sorry about your white car, Casey. I'm not. I'm sorry about my lack of a ticket, but I'm not sorry about my white car. <laughs> you should be. Oh, sad. No, it didn't look like Moby Dick. Moby Dick was a sperm whale. <laughs> I think, right? I don't know. I don't I don't know if they say it. You the think book. I actually read any of the books I'm supposed to read in school? No, I don't know. Do you like, Marco, having these people um, come up and ask you these questions? Like, obviously, there's times when it's convenient, times where it isn't. But in the grand scheme of things, do you find it kind of neat or are you kind of like, dudes, leave me alone? Oh, I don't. I mean, so far, it's just kind of it's it's novel, you know, because I've never had mm-hmm. anybody express that kind of interest in the things I was driving in the chicken salad parking lot. So he's going to print out laminated cards to just hand to people. As soon as someone asks a question, ah, here, take this card. Yeah. Here's an FAQ. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, ask me again in a year. It might have gotten old by that point. But uh, but no, I, so far, it's it's just kind of cool. Like, I, you know, I mean, environmental people who drive fun car, who drive like, you know, like the first hybrids or the first EVs. Like, you know, like I, people have had these questions for other owners before. And I've seen people write about it. And, and like, it seems like it's kind of like just kind of a fun thing of having these cars. I think what surprises me is that it's still going on. Like I, I, I kind of thought we'd be past the stage where these things would be novel, but we're not. 